Tell your neighbor you like the shoes this morning. And you may be seated. Well, we are doing a series on healthy relationships. And I got a little video that's going to put a smile on your, on your face. Take a peek at this before we begin. And our first date, this is what was so unique. Our first date was um, my grandmother had died. So we went to the wake. We went to that the, was our of, first date. Yeah, yeah. She went with me. Hey, hey, that's how you find out. She's real. You go with me, my family, you love me. I love her song on my heart. I write songs and they touch her heart. Ready, go. <laughs> Wounds in my heart. Done. Okay, we're done. One of my favorite things that Andy does is uh, dance. Don't start that dun to dun. Don't start that dun to dun. So that's something that we kind of it's never bonded. It's never been on. I can always be myself with her. She's not judging. I can dance horribly and she'll still love me. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. What? If uh, I go to dinner with my wife and I don't have my teas in, <laughs> years, ago, years ago that would have bothered me. Today it doesn't bother me a bit. To describe her is, uh, are you gonna cry? I don't think I'm gonna cry, but. Uh, we can make trying to show somebody that we love them really difficult when it's just really simple. And she just tells me she loves me. If I'm doing something wrong, she's going to call me out on it. She doesn't just smile and say, oh, great, Kimber, and then talk yeah. to other people about it and say, wow, I don't think that she should be doing that. People look at the big things, and really it's more about the small things. I think that keep people together. Just little things that just get you and can get couples in such a, a tight moment. The vinegar represented those. But then it came with the honey. And when you taste that honey, after tasting that vinegar, wow, the vinegar taste is gone. You kind of can think back to that and just says, but the honey, our love, will outstand all those bitter moments. This selflessness has taught me to care for others in another capacity that I haven't really experienced yet. I want to live my life more like that. Don't have the spats or anything that you might think of when you're younger. She really makes it a point to like have Christ's love show through her no matter where she is. I don't think I really honed in on that until I became friends with Kimber. I've been learning things that uh, about myself and about her and just kind of getting a chance to share your life with someone else is pretty awesome. We've been married 53 years. Uh, when we first got married, you think you're in love. I would, I would say that after 53 years, I'm more in love with her now than I was then. That's how I feel about her. Love? Yes. I do love you. I know. I do. You're welcome. Well, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming today. <laughs> Everybody wants love like that. I want to be like that couple married 53 years. We want to have uh, our friends to love and care about us. We want family to care about us. 
But for a lot of us, that's a storybook and it doesn't happen. We're not experiencing that. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of struggle and heartache in our lives. I want to help you. Uh, in this series on healthy relationships, we're learning biblical principles that make relationships better. Uh, 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 the passage we're using as a text is Proverbs 24.3. It says it takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. And the wisdom and understanding for good, strong families, healthy relationships, comes from the Bible. And if we will apply these biblical principles in our life, our relationships will be better. Well, this is what we're talking about. Last week we talked about the two foundational principles, commitment and true love. Well, today we're going to talk about specifically marriage. I'm going to do, I've entitled it A Happy Home. It's part one. Today is marriage and next week is on raising children. So whether you're raising children or how you treat your children, it'll be a, it'll be a big help uh, next week. But let's begin, as we talk about a happy home, talking about marriage. And I want to tell you this. The Bible doesn't have a book called Marriage and Family. Now, it says things about it, but it doesn't say a whole lot specifically about husbands and wives. Now, that's not because it doesn't deem it important, but it's because on the underlying principles, and I want you to get this, the underlying principles that the Bible teaches, if you will apply them in your life, you'll, have a, you'll be a better person, and if you're a better person, you'll have a better marriage. That was a great time to say amen. Okay, let me explain it to you. Let's say you're a dad and a husband. Well, guess what? If you commit yourself to every day you read your Bible, you come to church, you learn, but you try to put it into practice. And you read in the Bible that the Bible talks about the value of hard work. The Bible talks about the value of discipline. Well, how many know you're more apt to be successful and make money then as a dad? Uh, the Bible talks about telling the truth. The Bible talks about uh, caring for others more than ourselves, being selfless rather than selfish, uh, being thankful, being grateful. But when you start practicing these things in your family, guess what? Your family's going to get better. So as I look in the passage today, I'm going to look in a passage, the longest passage in the New Testament, well, really in the Bible, that talks about marriage. And as we look at it, it's written by the Apostle Paul, and it's pretty incredible to me that he really only offers a couple pieces of advice. Broadly, he's first going to say that marriage has a spiritual dynamic to it. It is a spiritual picture or portrait. But then he's going to give one piece of advice to the men, and one only. He'll say, husbands, say, I bet you know it, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Listen, if you, that, that's kind of like on the level of the greatest commandment of all, love the Lord with all your heart. I mean, what more do you need? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then what does it say to the wife? She is to show respect and honor to her husband. That's all it says in a very short statement. And then we'll learn what the Bible says about order in the home, about a cell that won't be chaos, but so how there'll be a sense of covering and protection and order. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to begin, as I said, in the book of Ephesians, but my presentation's a little different. I'm going to read a somewhat lengthy passage. And I'm not going to start where he says, wives or husbands, I'm going to go back a couple verses because he is, he, he, he's not separating his marriage advice from his encouragement to the general Christian community. In other words, as a Christian, if I'm living in these ways of a disciple or a follower of Christ, and then I focus specifically on my marriage, the two work like that. 
So let's read Ephesians chapter 5. He tells the believers, look carefully then on how you walk. He's talking about your Christian life. Jesus called it the narrow path versus the wide path of destruction. Narrow path of life, wide path of destruction. Most people are on the wide path. Most of what you see on television and in movies and in modern culture, sadly, much of what is taught in modern secular education is on the wide path. And the Bible says that's unwise. Don't do that. Walk as the wise people do, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So recognize that truth is not coming from the world. Oftentimes, what you hear just like, hey, listen, if you listen to political uh, subjects, it matters where, who's telling you because so often it's a slanted view. And it's almost like, I don't know if I can believe what I read today because the reporters are often not in the pursuit of facts and truth, they're in the pursuit of an agenda. I understand what I'm talking about. That's just the world we live in there. It's all around us. Well, then he kind of repeats himself and says, don't be foolish. Before, he said, don't be unwise, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And if you understand what the will of the Lord is, you'll be wise in life. Now he says this, he shifts a little bit, and now he goes into a couple, a, a, a contrasting exhortation. He said, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's think about this word, be filled with the Spirit, be under the control of the Spirit be under the influence of the Spirit, or be under the influence of alcohol. Now, I, 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 I may look like a guy that's pretty straight today, and I am, but I, well, before I became a Christian, I was pretty worldly. Rarely did I go out without a beer. Uh, rarely did I go out without smoke coming out of my car windows. How many understand what I'm talking about? How many can say I was just like you, Pastor? How many of you are lying right now? Let me get... You understand. See, you understand the life that you used to live. I understand the life that I used to live. I know if I'm under the influence of alcohol, I'm having fun, but I'll probably say some things I, I wish I didn't say. I'll probably do some things I wish I, I regret doing. I'm more likely to flirt with someone else's wife don't be so quiet out there. It's true. Now listen to me, young people. One time when I was 19, uh, 18, I tried hard liquor one time. I blacked out. I didn't know what I was doing. I kicked a police car. My friends had to take me home. I couldn't drive. And I woke up the next morning with the worst headache and vomiting ever of my life. I was really having fun now, okay? I understand. And you can either be under the influence of worldly things like that, or you can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if you're under, now this is all about marriage today. If you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, here's the kind of things you'll do, verse 19. You'll address other people in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you'll worship together. You'll have the words of Scripture to share. You'll also, in your heart, number two, you'll sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. You won't just be jamming to the tunes that are, you know, the secular tunes. And I'm not saying that's evil or bad, but I'm saying is you'll have worship resonating inside you. 
The third thing, you'll always give thanks for everything to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have the thankful attitude, but look at the fourth thing. You'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is, a spirit-controlled believer will willingly serve other people. He won't, you know, in our world today, it's like, I've got to be your boss. I've got to be over you. Uh, I've got to have the last word. I've got to have the last say. I've got to be in control. But a submissive person is willing to say, look, for the sake of our relationship, listen, I'm just going to serve you. I'm going to be your friend. We're going to be partners together in this life. It it, it brings unity. It brings harmony. Uh, It keeps relationships together. And from that, he goes specific to marriage. He begins to shift a bit. So we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because it's pleasing the Lord. And similarly, verse 21, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and we'll explain what that means. Even as Christ is the head of the church, uh, his body and Jesus is the Savior. For as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, say it with me, love your wives as Wow. And gave himself up for her. So, why? So he might sanctify her. In other words, set her apart. Help her be godly. This is what Jesus is doing. You being here in worship today, you reading your Bible, all of this is a part of of our spiritual journey, drawing us close to the Lord. But the Lord's desire for the church is to sanctify us, to cleanse us from our sin in the world by the washing of water with the word of God. This is what scripture does. And the reason, verse 27, so he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now, he's talking about marriage. But we're going to see how spiritual parallels that he's going to bring into this. In the same way, just like Jesus did, husbands, love your wife as your own body. Love your wife as your own body because he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but listen, he nourishes and cherishes it. He's talking about how a husband treats his wife, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, he's quoting Genesis 2, and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. It's a quote from Genesis 2 that marriage is between one man and one woman in the context of a covenant commitment for life, Jesus quotes the same verse, and now Paul does. It's the biblical position on marriage. And then he calls it a mystery. The mystery of marriage is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see, here's your job, uh, gals, let the wife see that she respects her husband. I would, well, first of all, let me say that this idea... Uh, uh, that Paul is going to bring four simple ideas that have the potential to make a happy home. And I felt you tighten up a little bit on me when I read some verses because they are so misunderstood in our culture. They are so misapplied. This is not bringing America back to Archie Bunker and Edith. But this is... Of all Paul could have said about marriage, he said, guys, I'll give you one piece of advice that will do more for you to help your family than anything else you could do. It's to love her the way Jesus loves us. 
And then he said, God, women, if I could tell you one thing, it's going to cause your husband to be the person, his greatest emotional need is to give him honor and respect. And the, this is lost somehow in our culture. And the whole bit about submission and headship, don't worry about that now. We'll talk about that later. But I bet you it doesn't mean what you think it means. Because in all of this, the man is called to a role of spiritual care and covering for his family that is not selfish, that does not put himself first, but looks to the cross of Christ that literally gave his life for the people that he loved. I think this will help you today. I want to first talk with you about marriage being, a Christian marriage has a spiritual basis. Let me once again just read some of these words. Husband, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. He willingly died so we could have life. Why? So he might sanctify her. Is it just possible there's a parallel? And the word sanctify is to set apart. It goes on to say that he could present the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Is it perhaps that the Bible is telling the husband that one of your greatest roles is to help the spiritual life of your wife and your children so she might be the godly woman God created her to be? It is nothing about inferiority or superiority. It's nothing about a boss. It's nothing about barking orders. But it's about a man from the genuineness of his heart does everything that he can. He spends extra time on his knees praying for his wife, not trying to change her, but trying to help her to become the person God wants her to be. If you have a Christian husband that lives like that, you have a treasure. In our world today, the divorce rate is 50%, but it's the same inside the church as outside. I suggest to you it's because even we as the church have forgotten how to have a happy home. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, when America rebelled against God and threw God out of its public life, we thought marriage was like Archie Bunker, and if Archie Bunker is anything like marriage, I don't want anything to do with it, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, whenever I want to do it. And we're in a mess, and we're hurting. My parents were divorced when I was 21. I was in the Navy. I'd, I was away from home several years, and my mom told me in a phone booth, didn't even tell me they were divorcing. She just said she and Dad had separated. And I walked around for two days and a daze because my world was shaken because the strength that was there. I want to help you today. Marriage is spiritual. He says it again in verse 29. You've never hated your own body, but you nourish it, you cherish it, just as Christ does the church. Marriage is a mystery. It refers to Christ in the church. So let me say this first. A Christian marriage is a picture of Christ, and the Bible speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom. And we collectively, the body of Christ, are the bride. He forgets about our gender. He looks at us as one. And even men are a part of this group called the bride of Christ. But the most amazing thing he says, on earth, the nearest picture you'll see to me and my bride is what's to be in a true Christian home. When husband and wife and children are endeavoring to live after their God, and live in an upright biblical way. He's saying your greatest testimony to the world can be your home life. He's saying the way you treat your wife will make you stand out in a crowd. When you nourish her, when you cherish her, rather than belittle her, when you open her door, when you provide for her, when you make her the princess, you are showing to the world what it means, the body of Christ. It's our great, and it should be one of our greatest motivations to work out our problems. 
Because you and I as Christians don't just live with two people in a relationship. There's a third in the marriage triangle. It's Jesus Christ. And we live not only for one another, we live for him. Now, let me say this. A healthy marriage has a shared spiritual life together. I'm going to mention two things, prayer and serving the Lord together. Firstly, prayer. Peter mentions uh, the place of prayer in marriage. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This refers to physical strength. Uh, this is not inferiority in any fashion. Give honor to your wife because you're heirs together of the grace of life. But then what's it say? So your, so your prayers may not be hindered. Didn't Jesus say where two of you would agree in prayer, the things you ask I'll do for you? What greater agreement can you have than the person that you've become one with and you share life with? When you pray together, friends, I want to tell you that can be a release of spiritual power that is impossible when you pray alone. There is something dynamic and powerful when two that have become one in Christ are praying and bringing things to the throne of God. But there's something else about a shared spiritual life of prayer. And listen to me, if there is some tension or struggle in your family or your marriage, if you will pray together, and I don't just mean sitting across the table from each other, that's not a bad thing, but I mean, husband, if you'll take her hand, if you will put your arm around her before she goes to work, or before she goes to bed at night, if you'll take her by the hand and say, Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you for my wife. I want to say thank you for the woman that you have brought into my life uh, uh, that I can love and that loves me. Thank you for the mother of my children. Thank you for the one that's raising my children. I want to tell you, friends, something's going to happen in the relationship between the two of you. You could have been throwing things. I mean, I, I don't know if you regularly do this or not, but you could have been having a knockdown, drag-out fight. How many throw things? Don't, 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 don't. But, I mean, you could be just going for it, and when it's all over, at some point, you're going to settle down, and at some point, you're going to look at each other, and here's where I think the man, as the head of the home, needs to say, Honey, I'm so, so, so sorry for whatever I've done to cause this conflict in our home. Take her by the hand if she'll let you. Say, honey, I want to ask you to forgive me for the way that I acted. Sooner or later, she will. But I want to tell you what she's waiting for. She's waiting for the embrace. Because she, I have never met a woman that didn't want the prayers of her husband. And if you'll take this little bit to heart, it'll help you, friends. Serving the Lord together. Romans 16, 3, learn from this. Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife, were co-workers in Christ. And in Corinthians, it said that they gathered, uh, people would gather in their home for church meetings. What's the point here? Serving the Lord with your spouse together gives you a common purpose in life. Hey, have you ever wondered why so many people have affairs with people at work? I'll tell you why. It's because they're doing some shared purpose together. I don't care if they're in the construction business, the medical business, or whatever case it is. They are sharing life together. What they're doing is important, and two are becoming one. But if you will do the same thing, if you will find some way where you and your spouse can serve the Lord together, it will give you a common shared purpose in life. Somebody say praise the Lord. And let me give you one more spiritual note to you that are single that want to be married. How to find your mate. First of all, don't go looking for your husband. You look first for God's purpose for your life and start doing it. 
And as you're going in the direction that God has called you for your life, you're going to find that other people are around you. And before you know it, these friends, one of them, this good-looking guy, is going to become a best friend, and then you'll marry your best friend for life, and you'll have a shared purpose together. Now, that's just extra, but that's worth its weight in gold, single people. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. I may need an extra minute or two today. Can I have it? Okay, here we go. Let me give you Paul's counsel to husbands, to the man. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then he goes on to say, love your wife as you love your own body. How many people spend more than 15 minutes in front of the mirror? Don't raise your hand. But there's something about me loving me and caring for me and wanting me to be comfortable, wanting me to be pleasurable, wanting me to enjoy life. Listen, this is the way, the outlook we have towards our wife. It is the only advice Paul gives to the husband. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I suggest you, well, first this word love is the Greek word agape. It is the God kind of love we talked about last week. But I suggest to you, friends, that it is the woman's greatest emotional need is to be loved. But the love that she needs is oftentimes beyond my capacity to do it as a mere man. That's why I need God's help. That's why I need the Holy Spirit to help me grow in love. This agape love, as, as seen in Jesus' life, uh, was pictured in the sacrificial death of Christ. Remember when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep, here's the problem, I'm selfish. I didn't get married because I wanted to, because I wanted to, to uh, uh, serve Linnell. I didn't get married because I wanted to, to, uh, to give her part of my money because I, I wanted her to, to, to uh, I wanted to sacrifice for her. Now, come on. I got married because I wanted somebody to make me happy. I got married because I wanted someone to complete my life. I got married because I was attracted to her. Are you with me today? I got somebody, something, someone, I married her because I wanted someone I could fool around with regularly. Are you with me today? All that is about me. But agape love is about you. I want to show you a little quick video where I think mess marriage up. And it's happened in the 70s. Take a little peek here. This is a bad example. Well, housework is an important job, Archie. It's just as important as your job. That is a whole lot of baloney there, read it. The man is the breadwinner, and you women have your bread one. That's the way it is all over the world. You're wrong, Arch. There are plenty of tribes where the men sit at home and the women go out to work. Where, where, where? Well, there's a tribe in New Guinea. Yeah, I'll be bringing the Italians in. <laughs> women to stay at home. How do you know that, Archie? Because it's in the Bible, Edith. Look it up, huh? All them old Bible guys, they was always out there hunting and fishing. The women stayed home and they had babies, which they call in them days begatten for religious reasons. <laughs> and in between all the begatten, the women was sweeping up the tents, they was milking the cows, polishing up all the idols. Don't do that. But somehow in the 70s, 60s it began, 
a rebellion as a nation against God. In the 70s, our Supreme Court said no prayer in schools, no Bibles, public places, no manger scenes. We started removing God from the public places. And Christianity in the Bible, uh, efforts were made to get rid of it. When I was in school in the first grade, the principal would read the Bible over the loudspeaker. We would pray. We would have a spiritual context for life. But we got rid of all that. And in getting rid of it, we got a, a, rid of the dynamics of biblical dynamics of marriage. And men were portrayed as ogres who were bosses like Archie over their wives rather than men who loved their wife as Christ loved the church. See, we didn't have a Christ loving the church in secular America. And all this happened that was going on around us. But the Bible teaches the husband that just like he nourishes and cherishes himself, he's to nourish and cherish his wife. He's to go out of his way, to open her car. Ladies, how many, does it make you feel good when your husband opens your car door? Come on. It's a few of you. Some of you probably don't even know. He's never opened it. So I, but, but showing kindness. My wife is in India on the missions experience. Ushers, I got a, ladies, a lot of ladies flashing here. I don't want them passing out. We probably need a layer. Uh, my wife's in India, and, and, and I've been a, a bachelor for two weeks. Now, something I have learned, again, that I already knew. You, you know why there's uh, eight dishes, right, in your dish set, and why there's eight bowls and eight knives and forks? I know why the depth of my sink is this big, too. It holds so many dishes, this is, I, I'm, just, I'm just being real with you. Well, that's kind of the way that I live. But my wife, if there's a dirty dish in the house, it's, it's like there's a mouse in the house, and she's got to get rid of it. Well, I'm glad she takes care of a good house, but listen, when she comes home, she's not going to see a dirty dish in the sink. It's not because I'm scared of her, and it's not because uh, I married her to do the dishes. It's because it's her love language and act of service. And I'm going to take care of her car, and I'm going to do everything I can to let her know that she's priceless to me. Now, why am I doing that? Because I agape love her. I don't want something from her. I didn't marry a cook. Come on now, though she's a good cook. I didn't marry a dishwasher. I married someone that I could cherish and share life with. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 that both the husband and the wife want to live not only to please themselves, but to please their husband and please their wife. Now, I want to tell you guys, if you will take this one piece of advice to heart and say, Lord Jesus, help me love my wife the way that you love us, I promise you it will get better. I'm preaching better than your amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Let's look at the wives, Ephesians 5, 33. One piece of advice. He said, let the wife see that she respects, or one translation says, honor her husband. Now, why would he have chosen that? Of all the things Paul could have said, he chose one thing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Do you think maybe it's important? I tell you, ladies, it is, because a man's ego is as fragile as a piece of glass on your picture frame. And that picture frame hits the floor, it's not going to bounce like Tupperware, it's going to shatter. And men, I don't care if they're young or old, their greatest emotional need is for affirmation and honor. This word respect, it means to show great reverence for. It's a heady word. To hold in high honor. To regard as important. No one else in the, your husband's world may make them feel important, but you can. Respect is based on their position. They're God's delegated authority in your home, not his performance or behavior. You can still honor your husband even if he's acting like a knucklehead. 
It's not just what you do, it's your attitude. Now, let me give you something, a little easier way to understand this. A man's greatest emotional need is for honor and respect. Let me say it this way. A man needs a cheerleader. When I was growing up as a boy in Mississippi, loved to play baseball. And, and you that have little kids playing t-ball, now we didn't do t-ball back then where you put the ball on the deal, you know, and, and you swing at it till you hit it, and, and you, may not, you may miss it so many times, they may hit it themselves, you know. But, but, but when I'm playing, I think it's probably the first grade or so when I start playing little league ball, and I go to bat, and I hit the ball back to the pitcher. And I'm not running towards first base. I'm looking at the stands. I want mom and dad to see me. And I want to hear from mom and dad after the game what a great job I did. And even though I struck out three times, I swung that bat so well and I looked so good when I was up there at the plate. Something special about me. Son, I know you're going to make it tomorrow. And that little first grader's ego just goes to the moon. You know your husband still has that first grader's ego in his life? I need to hear it from my wife. All oh, This is kind of funny. My wife was listening in India. And I gave some examples this morning. I said, I still need to hear that I did a good job on my sermon from my wife. You know, we get in the truck after, after, after church on Sunday, and I'm waiting for the comment. But I'm not just waiting for the, it's not that bad. I, I, I'm waiting for the comment when I clean the flower bed. I'm waiting for the comment when I do the tax return. I'm waiting for the comment when I bring the turkey home. Are you with me today? Now, how many guys are honest enough to say me too? Lying in church. The book of Revelation says liars shall have, have no place. Ladies, they may not admit it. Their little macho covering may not let them admit it, but I'm telling you, there's a little boy in there. And God said, a man needs a cheerleader. And let me tell you this too, sister, if he doesn't get it from you, he may get it from someone else. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. I'm preaching better than you're amening again. Though his greatest emotional need is to be respected, honored, and appreciated, his greatest physical need is... I'm going to try that again because you know the answer. His greatest emotional need is to be respected, honored, and appreciated, but his greatest physical need is... Sure it is. 1 Corinthians 7, let's read a little Bible, then we'll talk. Because there's so much sexual immorality in the world, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. What does that mean? That means that God wants you to enjoy sexual intimacy, not just to have children, but it's the place where you're freed from the temptation of the world, and it's an enjoyable experience. Listen, verse 3. Here's, you might write this in your precious promise box, men. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Write this half. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Now, I turned red last service. I'm going to try very hard not to in this service. For a man, and I'll speak as a man just a moment, ladies. If you will work at making this part of your life better, you will end up with a better husband. If you were to ask your, if someone were to ask your husband, or you ask him, which is more important, sex or breathing air? 
he would pause. <laughs> now, God's wired our body, so the older we get, it's not quite that drastic and extreme. And I'm going to make some general comments right now. But sex to a man is right on up there with air. And it doesn't take much. All he has to do, I don't know what you interpreted that to mean, but let me tell you, I'm going to tell you what I meant by that. I'm turning red again. All you have to, you could have some old blue jeans and you were working in the yard and you tore it on something and you got a patch of skin showing about that big. That's all it takes. You take that in five minutes and... Man's wired that way. What he sees. Powerful. But listen to me, fellas. And ladies, the more you'll accommodate that, the better off it'll be. You say, I'm married to a maniac. That's okay. Wear him out. If you don't, somebody else might want the job. Now, let me tell you guys, your wife is different. Your wife did not, d does not uh, respond and, and desire what they show on pornography. To your wife, it's not just the act of intercourse. To your wife, it is being romanced. The man, it starts with the man when he comes in the door and sees a little patch of skin, and it could be over before the commercial's over. But for the woman, it starts, when you, if she's already home when you're there, and you come up to her and say, whew, I had a hard day, but I want to tell you, baby, I missed you today. I'm glad to be home. Yeah. Sex just started. But it might not consummate for two hours later. Because she needs intimacy, nourish, care. And I don't know where you learn the whole sexual experience, but if your ego will allow this, if you would ask her what she enjoys, it may very well be different than what you see on some scene in the movies. Now, you told me five more minutes. I'm going to hit this one quick. This is the tougher one. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Worst it? All right. Thank you. Let's see what Paul said about order and delegated authority in the home in which husband and wife both have a role. In my opinion, this is the, one of the most misunderstood and misapplied scriptures in all of the Bible. Again, we started in the context earlier, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit means to yield your will to another. And mind you, your submission is not to Archie Bunker. It is hopefully to a man that loves you as Christ loves the church. But the Bible says, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And that doesn't mean that he's your Lord and you treat him like he's God. But what it means is the Lord has asked you to do this and the purpose is to bring order in your home and not chaos. 
So he asks you to do this as a spiritual act of service to Christ, not because your husband is bigger, smarter, or brainer, or anything else. The husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to their husband in everything. Now, this does not mean that a woman submits to all men. This is unique to the marriage relationship. It does not mean superior man and inferior woman. No, Galatians 3.28 says, In Christ there is no male or female, you are all one in Jesus. It specifically talks about order in a relationship. Just like if you're at work, everybody cannot be doing everything they want to do. There has to be a supervisor. There has to be accountability. There has to be responsibility. The buck has to stop somewhere. Uh, submission is, is, is God's choice. It's about God's choice of delegated authority and order in your home. And when a wife chooses to submit, it is not for the husband's benefit. It is not so the husband can be Archie Bunker with his dirty feet up in the chair saying, bring me some sweet tea. That is not what we're talking about. It is not so you can get this woman to, you know, whatever, wash your car and, and, and bless God, clean my boots and most of them, all those things. That is not what it's talking about. For the husband to be called in the Bible the head, Listen, men, it means that you are responsible for your family. It means the buck stops with you. Even if your wife works outside the home, you're responsible for those finances in that home. You're responsible for the family's spiritual life. You're supposed to help cherish her. You're supposed to help sanctify her. You're supposed to help nourish her to present her to Christ. You, sir, are ultimately responsible for your home. If you and your wife are having a conflict and a problem, you, sir, are to initiate asking for forgiveness. You are to initiate reconciliation. You're the head. You're the leader. You're the responsible person in your home. And her response to that is, is, is yielding and allowing that. Now, let me say this. My wife and I have been married 36 years. I have never, ever, ever told her to submit to me. It's not my job to tell her to do that. That's her willful choice as unto the Lord. My job is to love her as Christ loved the church. And if I do my part, guess what I've found in my life? Everything else works. Because there's something in her that was created to respond. Sex will be better too, guys. I think we've covered it. Next week, we'll talk about raising healthy kids. The Bible works if you'll practice it. It'll work. You'll have a better business. You'll get more raises at work. If you'll practice it, your character will show it. Your kids will be better. I, 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 I am so, I'm proud of all my kids. But my youngest now, Rebecca, is 19. She's going to college at UCA. And you know when your kids are little, you can just make them do right. I remember when my son was seven, right here on the front row of the church. Worship song was doing like that. I'd say, clap your hands, and he'd go. I'd say, raise your hands, and he'd go. He wasn't doing it because he loved God. He was doing it because Dad made him do it. But at some point, they're going to become their own adult. And I watched a phase of Rebecca's spiritual life that made me so proud. 
first of the year, it's a little before Christmas, she said, Dad, there's a, it, it was called Stumo, it's a, it, it's a Christian group on our campus, on our campus. They're having a, 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 a three-day retreat in, a, in Oklahoma City, and I'm going to go with my girlfriends. Can I go? I didn't tell her she needed to go to this Christian retreat. She told me. Now she comes back, and she's going to their Bible studies. She has a boyfriend. She's been with him another years. They're living a number of years. They're living a chaste life. But guess what she got him for Valentine's Day? She got him a Bible. Now I want to tell you, that does something to the heart of dad. And that doesn't happen accidentally. It happens because a mom and a dad are both committed to raising their children in a godly fashion. It happens because a dad is committed to do his role as the spiritual covering of his family. And it happens because mom is just being a good mom. She's honoring her husband. She's, she's, she's caring for her kids. And that's God's design and that's God's plan. He wants you to have a happy home. And if you do it his way, it'll happen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today as we close in prayer. You know, there's not, again, as I said, there's not a whole lot said in the Bible, but the presumption is, if I'll just be a better follower of Jesus, I'm going to be a better husband and dad. And I want to ask you to make this commitment to me. I want to speak to every Christian in the room. I want to ask you to pray in just a second as we close. I'm going to ask you to pray to ask the Lord to help you be a better follower of Christ. If you read your Bible and seek to do what it says, if you just seek to apply the simple things we talked about today, you're, you're, you're climbing a mountain. Bible calls it being sanctified. You're becoming more like Jesus. And as you do that, I promise you, your family life's going to get a lot better. The Lord's not going to let you have peaceful sleep at night if you have unforgiveness in your heart. He's going to nudge you towards reconciliation. So could we just close our eyes just a minute and shut our neighbor out and just say, Lord, help me to be a better follower of you. I don't want to live on a plateau. I don't want to be constantly backsliding. I just want to live every day walking with Christ. Why don't you pray that? Say, Lord, help me love the things of the world less and love you more. Let me be wise and not unwise. Let me walk on the narrow path of life and not the wide path of destruction. Help me, Lord, love you with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and all my strength. And if I'm a husband here today, Lord, I need your help. And I want your help to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And if I'm a wife today, it's, it's got to be hard to respect and honor a knucklehead. But I want to pray that you give these women grace. For my single friends that are here today, I pray that you would give them a grace of singleness. But I pray that you would help them and be first their pursuit of God and then their pursuit of a spouse and we pray these things today in Jesus name Amen we're going to close with the last song if you, and then we'll, we'll dismiss but we always ask our prayer team to come to the front and of course we'll pray with you about anything in your life it seems foolish to me to come to church with a burden or problem and leave with it not having prayed about it and left it at the altar let us do that for you but the most important thing we'd like to pray with today is any, any that are here that may not even be certain if they'd go to heaven if they died today. And friend, there's no promise about tomorrow. 
maybe you're here in church this morning and somehow you've come to the realization that something's missing in my life. You've tried having fun, you know, you've tried relationships, success, and all the things of life, but it, when you get them, it's just, it, something's missing. And you've become aware that what's missing is a vital relationship with God. Friend, it can start today if you'll commit your life to Christ. Maybe you're here today and just being in church makes you feel kind of heavy, guilt because of sin in your life. First, let me say this. There is a difference between right and wrong. And sin is simply to miss the mark. It's an archery term. An archer aims for that center spot, but if he misses the whole target, he's just sinned. And sinning is missing God's target. And a lot of times it doesn't bother us, but hopefully it should. And we're aware that we need forgiveness. We need to release this. That's what Jesus Christ does. And if you will come committing your life to Christ, asking for His forgiveness, Jesus washes all our past away. If you're here today, maybe you used to walk close with the Lord and you just got away. Didn't mean to, but it just happened. But you're ready to recommit your life to Christ. We would be honored to pray with you today. And I'm going to, and maybe you're here right now and you feel like I'm talking directly to you. There's a part of you that feels like running away, but there's another part that feels like responding. Listen to the right voice. One is the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. The other is the devil trying to keep you where you are. If you want to commit your life to Christ as we begin to sing this song, I'm going to ask you to with very bold and, uh, be bold and courageous, slip out of your chair and come over to the cross. You say, why, Pastor? Well, first, it's not to join the church. We don't want anything from you. We want to help you. But there's a sense of walking away from where I was and walking to someone it's Jesus and that's what the cross symbolizes we hope you'll come go ahead and begin to play our last song our prayer team is coming to the front they'll pray for anything most importantly prayer team come on up but if you want to commit your life to Christ slip out of the chair we'll see you at the cross I love you thanks for coming next week we'll talk about raising kids